Welcome to Scam This. Workers are fed up. Emotions are running high and people feel that now is the time to pick a fight because they have nothing left to lose. From Netflix employees walking off the job to thousands of factory workers, miners, and nurses going on strike or threatening to do so, October is starting to look like striketober. We'll break down what's going on. We've also got the latest on the FDA's booster announcement, as well as some really cool medical news for the hearing impaired and people in need of an organ transplant. And it's time to board that chopper, to fly off to a vacation destination that, wait, can we turn this thing around? I don't want to get off here. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this. All right, let's get to some headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter. First up, the FDA issuing its authorization for COVID boosters for J&J and Moderna. Here's what you need to know. Yesterday, the FDA made two big announcements about COVID booster shots. First, that Moderna and J&J boosters are good to go. And second, that it doesn't matter whether your first shot was Pfizer, Moderna, or J&J. You can get any type of booster. That's after research published last week suggested that mixing and matching shots is safe and effective. It also found that people who got the J&J shot first but got a second shot of Moderna or Pfizer had a stronger immune response than those who got two J&J shots. Although the CDC is still figuring out who should be eligible for boosters and when. Currently, it's only people who are older, higher risk, or have a job or living condition that puts them at more risk. So everyone else might need to wait a little longer. Next up, we have more good news from the FDA. The FDA is taking steps to help tens of millions of Americans who struggle to hear and can't afford a hearing aid, which can cost thousands of dollars. Here's the context. This week, the FDA proposed a rule that would allow millions of people to buy hearing aids over the counter, aka without a prescription. Right now, hearing aids can cost about $5,000, are rarely covered by insurance, and require a specialist to sign off on patients needing them. Those barriers make hearing aids inaccessible for many of the roughly 38 million Americans who are hard of hearing. Now, four-plus years after Congress challenged it to address the issue, the FDA has a model for a basic hearing aid that could be sold over-the-counter, along with regulations for selling them. And the FDA anticipates they could hit the market within the next year. And there could be some additional competition before long, possibly from the company behind AirPods. Last week, the Wall Street Journal reported that Apple's been studying whether AirPods could become legit health devices, capable of doing things like taking your body's temperature or serving as a hearing aid. It's not totally clear whether AirPods would need an upgrade, or if this is just a new way to market the conversation boost feature some AirPods already have. But the FDA's move this week could open the door for Apple and other tech companies to get in on the hearing aid market. You might want to take a seat for this next headline. Scientists say they've made a breakthrough in the effort to transplant organs from pigs into people. Wait, what? Surgeons in New York said this week they'd managed to attach a kidney grown in a genetically altered pig to a human body. And as soon as they did so, they watched the kidney start to function almost immediately. For decades, scientists have been looking into whether pig organs, which are a similar size to ours, could be transplanted into humans. Curveball, though. 
Doctors can't just use any pig's organs for a transplant. The pigs need to be genetically modified to get rid of a sugar molecule in pigs that human bodies reject. At least in this one instance, that hard work seems to have paid off. News reports describe surgeons being in awe as they watch this transplanted organ start working. Medical breakthroughs here couldn't come sooner. There are currently more than 100,000 Americans waiting on transplant lists, and around 12 people die each day. And even though the study of this transplant still needs to be peer-reviewed, doctors believe it could eventually be a game-changer. And our final headline this week. $17 million, $1 million per person for the 17 missionaries kidnapped by the notorious 400 Mowozo gang in Haiti. Here's what you need to know. Over the weekend, a group of missionaries, that's 16 Americans and one Canadian, were kidnapped in Haiti. They were reportedly on their way home from a visit to an orphanage when they were abducted by a gang called 400 Mowozo, according to authorities. It's a group notorious for using murder, rape, and kidnap to exert power and reap financial reward. And this week, Haitian officials said the gang announced their ransom, $17 million for the 17 victims. The FBI is already in Haiti working as hostage negotiators. But even if these hostages are eventually released, kidnappings are way up in Haiti. According to one nonprofit, there were at least 628 kidnappings between January and September this year alone. Although Haiti has dealt with waves of kidnappings in the past, analysts are calling this wave the worst in the country's history. Reportedly, gunshots from gangs derailed a government event on Sunday, and gangs apparently are now vying for control of around two-thirds of the country, a dynamic which some analysts say could turn Haiti into a failed state. Things have gotten so bad that leaders of the Dominican Republic, Panama, and Costa Rica are sounding the alarm too, as people continue to flee Haiti, leading to a worsening migration crisis throughout Central America. And now we're turning to Washington, D.C. On Capitol Hill, the clash between former President Trump and the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection is heating up. Honestly, we didn't want to go back to that day. But here's a reminder of what went down. The former president spoke at a rally in Washington, D.C. that took place ahead of Congress certifying the votes of the Electoral College. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Later that day, thousands of people, including Trump's supporters, stormed the Capitol, forcing lawmakers into hiding. Five people died, and Trump was impeached for inciting an insurrection. The riot on January 6th left a lot of people asking, how could this happen? Now, almost a year later, a bipartisan House committee of two Republicans and seven Democrats is trying to get some answers, but getting them is proving easier said than done. On Monday, former President Trump sued the committee to prevent them from getting the White House records related to his actions that day. Trump's lawsuit basically says his public speeches are one thing, but his private convos are privileged because he was the president. But the current White House is saying agree to disagree and is denying Trump's request to keep those documents locked up. It's still TBD if this lawsuit will stop the committee from seeing what Trump said or did around January 6th, but it's not the only thing holding them up. They're also not sure if people they've asked to testify are actually going to show up, like former Trump ally Steve Bannon. We should note he left his formal role at the White House in 2017, 
But according to committee members, Bannon may have had an important role in organizing January 6th. Here he was on his podcast the day before. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. After getting ghosted by Bannon, the House voted on Thursday to hold him in criminal contempt of Congress. They're hoping the threat of jail time might get Bannon and other Trump-related witnesses to sit down and talk. Though, considering Congress holding someone in contempt is a messy legal process to begin with and rarely ends in jail time, this is definitely more about sending a message. On top of that, Trump's actions this week raise other questions about how effective this House panel can actually be if both the former president and his allies aren't cooperating. Hey Google, what's more nerve-wracking than a pandemic? The coming months could create a twindemic. A possible twindemic? The twindemic. 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 That's not a word we could find in the dictionary, but it's a very real fear for doctors who are currently eyeing COVID and the upcoming flu season and getting kind of worried about dueling outbreaks, causing a twindemic. We'll break down why everyone is getting so worked up in 60 seconds. Okay, let's rewind back to last fall. We didn't have a COVID vaccine yet. So you know the drill, masks, chilling on the couch, and obsessive hand washing. Even then, doctors were concerned about a twindemic, caused by people not getting their flu shots and worsened by the fact that hospitals were already overstretched by COVID cases. In the end, that didn't happen. There weren't a lot of flu cases last year because a lot of us were basically hermits. But now we're not, and doctors are warning that our lack of exposure to the flu virus last year means a lot of us haven't built up immunity against it. Okay, now we're worried because people keep sneezing behind me in line at Starbucks. Does everyone have COVID or do they have the flu? The bad news is a lot of the symptoms are similar, so it can be hard to tell the difference. If you've got a fever, cough, or chills, you might wanna get a COVID test to be sure. The good news is that right now is a great time to get your flu shot, and you can even get it at the same time as your COVID booster, if you're eligible. And more good news for parents. Team Biden said this week that once a COVID vax is approved for kids age 5 to 11, it's going to be available at thousands of pediatric offices, meaning one less trip slash crying session at the doctor. How'd we do? Want us to skim a topic from the week's news? Send us your suggestions to audio at theskim.com. The climate crisis is here. Time is slipping away to stop the worst effects of global warming, and we need solutions. Enter How We Survive, a podcast hosted by Molly Wood that dives deep into the economics, tech, and the human stories behind climate solutions. This season, they're tackling electrification, one of the simplest solutions to get the planet off of carbon-emitting fossil fuels. We need to electrify, well, everything. Our cars, power grids, homes, and businesses. But doing so relies on batteries, and most batteries require a metal called lithium. And the hunt for it is driving a modern gold rush that could save the world, but that also relies on a really old, dirty technology, mining. To follow the stories of climate solutions to every corner of the world, check out How We Survive wherever you get your podcasts. 
Let's talk about Netflix for a second. The streaming giant's been in the news following the release of a new comedy special by Dave Chappelle. In it, Chappelle made comments about transgender people, which some viewers and members of Netflix's own workforce considered to be offensive, transphobic, and harmful. Enter Ted Sarandos. He's the co-CEO of Netflix and the guy in charge of making many of the platform's content deals. And that includes a huge multi-year, multi-million dollar deal with Chappelle signed back in 2016. Just this latest special reportedly cost Netflix over $24 million. So basically, Sarandos and Netflix have invested a lot in the comedian. And that might explain why Sarandos' response to criticism about this latest special was basically, deal with it. In an email to staff, Sarando said he didn't think the special would lead to any real-world harm. According to Variety, Sarandos added that, in his view, Chappelle's harsh jokes about many different groups were part of the reason he's so popular. That belief isn't shared by a number of Netflix employees, who on Wednesday staged a virtual walkout, during which they said they wouldn't do any work for the company. Some people even protested IRL outside of Netflix offices. A resource group for trans employees at Netflix also spelled out some of the changes they want to see on Twitter. Those include creating a fund to develop trans and non-binary talent for the platform, placing disclaimers on videos containing transphobic content, and taking down any promotional materials in the workplace for talent deemed to be transphobic. It's unclear whether Sarandos and the rest of the Netflix leadership team will comply with these requests. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal this week, Sarandos admitted he screwed up his response to criticism of the Chappelle special and said he should have acknowledged that employees were hurting. Though he also made it clear employees should be prepared to see more decisions made that they don't agree with. And he said Chappelle's special was staying on the platform. Just to make sure we weren't missing something, we listened to the Netflix corporate earnings call on Tuesday. After all, If Netflix was going to be honest about its plans, it probably would do that when talking to investors. And they sort of were honest in a roundabout way. Over the course of a 40-minute presentation, there was zero mention of Chappelle about any problematic content or protests by employees. Instead, Sarandos was there to get investors hyped for new shows. We're doing an origin story series from Willy Wonka. Netflix's expansion into selling merch. If you're loving Squid Game and you show up in that tracksuit, you're going to be talking to the dinner party. And its plan for world domination. We have to make the shows and films that people in Latin America love. So with thousands of movies and TV shows available on demand and billions of dollars being spent on making more, Netflix's response to the outrage over Chappelle seems to be that we're pretty sure you can find something else you do like. For more on the bumpy ride at Netflix, subscribe to our new podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where they'll be diving into that next week. Besides walkouts, there's another type of work protest happening in the U.S. American workers are testing their power. There's even a name for it, Striketober. Thousands of American workers are on strike, and thousands more are preparing to walk out in what some on social media have dubbed Striketober. Around the country, unionized workers have been going on strike. 
It's a phenomenon that, as you just heard, is being called striketober. But these strikes aren't just happening out of nowhere. So we're going to break down who's going on strike, why now, and what the impact of these strikes could mean going forward. There are 10,000 workers at John Deere who are currently on strike. So this is a big deal, right? This is a hugely profitable company, and this is a lot of workers. There are strikes of a smaller size going on at Kellogg cereal plants across the country. A couple thousand workers striking there. There are 420 workers at a popular bourbon distillery, Heaven Hill, which makes Evan Williams. That's Alex Press. She's a staff writer for the left-wing magazine Jacobin. She told us beyond traditional factory jobs, strikes are happening in other industries, too. There are also some 24,000 workers who work for the healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente who have also authorized a strike. That is a giant corporation and they're healthcare workers. And over on the West Coast, a strike of 40,000 film and TV crew members was narrowly avoided this past weekend. But all these workers have one thing in common, according to Kate Bronfenbrenner, director of labor research at Cornell. The workers that are on strike are essential workers. They're the ones that have had to go to work no matter what. They've had to risk their health. And we all have depended on them. They're the ones who have fed us. They're the ones who supplied us, kept us safe, kept us alive. The pandemic, and specifically the inhumane treatment of workers during the pandemic, is one major reason we're seeing these strikes now. One thing that is true across several of these workplaces is that workers feel they're being asked to work too much. In the United States, there's very little regulation over how much time your employer can force you to work. Not to mention, workers have seen how much their companies have profited, even if they were saying early on in the pandemic that times are tough. And now workers have started to reevaluate how much they're getting paid. At John Deere, which has had its most profitable year on record and its CEO got a 160 percent raise last year, they actually said, no, we're giving you less. So their proposed contract said every new hire from November 1st on at John Deere would no longer have a pension. So these workers are saying, actually, we're not even asking for much more. We just want to hold on to what we've gotten or claw back certain things that we had given up in the past because we're in a different moment now. Press told us, beyond unsafe working conditions and low pay, COVID-19 has been emotionally devastating for many of these employees. They're saying, you know what? We risked our health and safety. We saw that our employer was willing to let us die rather than to spend money keeping us safe. And that really changed our relationship to work, right? I'm not willing to let my whole life be work anymore because I realized that that's not going to be fulfilling for me. And my family is suffering. Both their health is at risk. And also, they didn't see me at all during this pandemic. You know, if you're working 14-hour days every day, you start realizing that the stuff that makes a good life is unavailable to you. You don't have time for family, nor for having fun or hobbies. It gets to the heart of what makes life worth living. So I've certainly heard from workers who've said things like, how am I supposed to fall in love if I'm working 14-hour days and then commuting on top of that? How am I going to have a family? Emotions are running high, and people feel that now is the time to pick a fight because they have nothing left to lose. So if pandemic working conditions are the catalyst for these strikes, the current labor market is also providing a window of opportunity. Companies are having a really hard time finding employees to fill millions of open roles. And that gives workers who are currently employed more leverage than usual, whether they want to negotiate for higher wages, better hours, or safer conditions. And Bronfenbrenner says, Having that leverage is key, 
since going on strike is a lot different than being out of office. Workers risk a lot when they go on strike, not only give up their income, but they can be permanently replaced under our laws. They're taking a gamble, but if they are united, if the entire workforce goes on strike, if they have the support of the community, and if they're focusing on issues that resonate with the public, strikes can be won. And the strikes that are going on now are accomplishing all of those things. Speaking of public opinion, according to Gallup, close to 70% of Americans now say they support unions, compared to less than 50% a decade ago. With public support at their backs, and with some unions, like the one representing film and TV workers, starting to see positive results, Bronfenbrenner says it's possible we could start seeing a chain reaction of more strikes. Strikes are contagious. One strike inspires another. Strikes don't just inspire other workers to strike, but they inspire workers to organize, they inspire workers to stand up to their bosses, they inspire people to stand up for their rights in all different capacities. And if this continues, she thinks this year could prove to be a significant turning point for workers' rights, one on par with a pretty major event. It doesn't feel different than when we were coming out of the Depression. There are historic moments where times have been really bad and workers have been exploited at a time of great crisis. And that's when the labor movement has taken a leap forward. So that's what employees stand to gain. So far, employers are responding to these labor actions in different ways. The TV and film workers got a new contract that does address workers' concerns, including rest periods and meal breaks. That contract still needs to be voted on by union members, but it seems like the big studios were willing to come to the table to compromise. But on the other side of the spectrum, Kellogg's is saying, we see you striking and we're ready to replace you. The maker of Fruit Loops and Frosted Flakes has been trying to hire temporary workers to step in for the ones who are on strike. Showing that striking is risky, and there's only so much workplace actions like strikes can accomplish on their own. So those are the stakes for union workers who are fighting for basic rights at work. But Press told us you don't have to be in a union to stand up to your employer right now. People without unions, which is most people in this country, they too are taking action, even though it's not coming in this sort of traditional strike form. So more people than ever have quit their jobs in the past month. The numbers came out on this that in August, almost 3% of the U.S. workforce quit its job. So that's what you do when you don't have a union, right? You say, okay, boss, can I have these better working conditions? Can I get a raise? Can you take my health and safety seriously when we're in a pandemic? And maybe he'll say yes. But more often, he'll say no. And what do you do? You can either stay or you quit your job. And so we see that playing out, too. And those are very related phenomenon, right? If you have a union, you stay and fight. If you don't, you leave. Besides quitting, workers are organizing in other ways, like that Netflix walkout we told you about earlier. If you're talking about walkouts, that is a withdrawal of your labor, right? That is a collective action and one that is sort of riskier than something more low key, like maybe you and your coworkers bringing something up as an issue in an all hands, um, all staff meeting. And so I would say that what we're seeing really is a gradual increase in all of those levels of workplace action. There's bringing up issues at the workplace. There's having a meeting after work with your coworkers and saying, we should do something about this issue. There's collecting petitions. There's posting things on social media, right? All of those things are escalating, I think. For people who are frustrated at work and maybe thinking, my petition isn't solving any of my problems, you're not alone. 
We told you last week about the great reshuffle, aka the millions of people quitting their jobs, hoping to find something else. We promised you some tips on how to navigate things, and now we've got them from the Wall Street Journal's Catherine Dill. She's been talking to a lot of people who want to change careers and who've pulled it off. Her first tip is for everyone, whether or not you're ready to quit. If you are thinking that you are interested in doing a job that you've never done before, you should go talk to lots of people who have that job. And it's a much easier conversation when you're not asking the other person to potentially hire you. You know, when you just want to know, what's it like being a copywriter? Like, what's it like being a software engineer? Do I need to go back to school? What are your hours like? What's your work-life balance like? Do you work at a startup? Do you work at a big company? Do I need to move? These are all things that are going to be best answered for you by other people doing those jobs. One of the things that people have noted consistently throughout the pandemic, which I hope is still true, is that there's a real openness among people who have remained employed throughout the pandemic to help those who have been laid off or who have had to make changes. There's people all over LinkedIn being like, give me a call, reach out to me, like, let me see what I can do. I talk to people all the time who get jobs through like someone they haven't talked to since high school. It's a great, it's a great moment to really capitalize on that sort of altruism. If you decide it is worth changing careers, Dill says, remember that companies you're applying to could be really short-staffed right now, too, and maybe relying on computerized tools to scan cover letters and resumes. That may sound demoralizing, but on the bright side, most of those computer tools just try to match as many words from your application with keywords in the job description. So getting their attention may just mean hitting copy-paste. And after your application is in, Dill says don't rest all your hopes on the first company you apply to. While it seems like every job posting should line up with an open position, the reality is often more complicated. One of the pieces of advice that we hear a lot from experts right now is not to have all of your eggs in one basket. You've talked to a company, it seems like it's going well. And this is always true, but especially now, you have no way of knowing what's actually going on in that hiring process. Do they have someone internal in mind? Are they thinking that maybe they're going to lose someone internal and they're you know, lining something up in advance? Are they not sure yet what they want exactly, which happens all the time? And so, even if it feels like you're headed in the right direction with a particular process, you want to be working multiple avenues. And that ties into Dill's final piece of advice. Don't take the hiccups in the labor market right now as a reflection of you and your abilities. It's really tough advice to take, but it's not to take the sort of ins and outs of all of this personally. Millions and millions of people across industries at every experience level are having all of the same experiences good, bad, ugly. And so you have to just keep moving forward just step after step. Every time we ask you guys to leave us a voicemail or send us your emails, you come through. And with so many skimmers navigating the great reshuffle right now, we'd love to hear what worked for you. If you're into giving pep talks over the phone, leave us a voicemail at 646-461-6370 or send us your tips to audio at theskim.com. We'd love to share some of your advice on an upcoming show. All 
All right, who's down for a vacation? How about Saudi Arabia? I'm thinking someplace in the middle of the ocean. And on an oil rig? We're not being overdramatic here. This is the actual music picked by the Saudi government for the video promoting the latest tourist destination it wants to build. We're talking about an 800-room adventure theme park featuring go-karts, water slides, and 11 restaurants called The Rig, as in oil rig. Also, could we turn that music off? This oil rig adventure destination is going full Deepwater Horizon. Guests will apparently be able to hop into mini submarines to explore oil pipelines on the ocean floor. Definitely not an excursion to do buzzed. The social media reaction to the rig is pretty mixed. Let's put it this way. More people are talking about the rig as the setting for Squid Game Season 2 than as a legit vacation destination. But Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, which is behind the project, doesn't seem to care about the haters. It's also building a brand new megacity from scratch along a barren piece of the Red Sea coast, and another city on a desert cliff that it promises will be the entertainment, arts, and sports capital of the world. You've got to admire that ambition. But cities on land are one thing. A vacation on an oil rig in the middle of the water is another, and one that makes even a claustrophobic cruise ship seem like a better idea in comparison. Thanks for listening to Skim This. Today's episode was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our associate producer, Kira Long. Our senior audio engineer is Andrew Calloway. The senior producer of Skim This is Luke Vargas. And Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. Skim This will be back in your feed again next Thursday. Until then, check out our other podcast, 9 to 5-ish with the Skim, where we're talking all things career. Follow it wherever you listen to your podcasts.